everybody. Welcome to the Game Changer. We have reached the final message in this series about this small group of people who did something so huge, so enormous. How did they do it? How did they do something so great? Well, they had great faith. So we're ending at a super high point, a super important point about their great faith. If we want to do something really significant in this world, and we all do, then we have to be people of great faith. Now, what is their faith really all about? I'm going to read you some scriptures today. It's from Acts chapter 4, and this is how it begins. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Verse 5, the next day the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power, what name did you do this? It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Remember we talked about what does that mean, raising from the dead? Restoration of all things. Great thing. That was week one, Easter. God raised from the dead that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Then they called them in again. So they had sent them out because they didn't know what to do with them. And they had this big discussion and they called them in again. They called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Verse 19. Now listen to this. This is what they did. This is where he gets into their great faith. Verse 19. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to listen to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. We want to talk about great faith. What is faith? If somebody asks you that question and you're a person of faith, you believe in the Bible, and they said, hey, tell me why you believe in the Bible. Tell me why you believe in Jesus. Tell me why you believe in God. What would you say? What would you say about faith? Faith is what to you? I hear this a lot. People say this. I don't, I don't know if it's the most common answer. I'm just telling you it's one of the things that I hear a whole lot. I people, I hear people saying this in church. They say, you know, faith to me is believing in God even when it doesn't make sense. Like, it doesn't make sense is the part that catches me. It's the part that I hear mentioned most of the time. And I get that. I understand that there's times that like, I don't know where this thing is going. I don't know what's happening. But you know what? I'm holding on. I'm trusting. So there's a part that I totally get. But there's another part that I'm wondering, now, wait a minute, because it be, can kind of be heard that faith is radically irrational. It's that not making sense part. So then I'm, I'm confronted with this question. This is what I really want to focus on today. Does faith mean that I'm holding on to something that doesn't make sense or is biblical faith something different? What is it to you? What is faith to you? When you think of faith and when your friends and your family and your neighbors and your coworkers here in Washington, D.C. or around the world, from wherever you're participating in this service today, does it make radical sense? 
or is it radically irrational? There's this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it says this, we walk by faith, not by sight. Well, I'm sure you've heard this before. Seeing is believing. We walk by faith, not by sight. I walk in the darkness. I mean, that's kind of what it makes me think of, and that's what I hear other people saying, and that's what I kind of embrace. I'm not walking by what I can see. I'm walking in the dark. I can't see it. It doesn't make sense, but boy, I'm holding on. I don't understand it, but I'm holding on. I can't see it, but boy, I have faith. Is faith, does that mean I'm a person that believes in things that don't make sense? This is what I really want to talk about today. Faith in scripture. Here's some other words to go with it. It means confidence. It means loyalty. It means trust. And here's what I want to suggest you today. The main emphasis of faith in the Bible is that biblical faith is radically rational. Radically. That's the driving point of faith in the scriptures. It is radically rational. It is true. Jesus says it in John 17, 17. He's praying the longest prayer that we have of Jesus in the entire Bible. A whole chapter, John 17, is one long recorded prayer. And he says this in John 17, 17. Your word, speaking to the Father, is truth. Now, Paul says to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself, young Timothy, to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, and here it comes, who correctly handles the word of truth. It's true. And here's what Clement of Alexandria says. He's a theologian from the second century. He was born about a, a hundred years after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So he's really close to the action. Should we believe in things that are unreasonable? And Clement of Alexandria says this, truth cannot be without reason. So faith, truth, they all circle around something that is completely rational and makes sense and is the driving point. And if we understand this, we're going to confuse ourselves about what it means and we're going to confuse other people about what it means to really be a follower of faith. Who wants to say, you know what, I have great faith in God, which means I believe things that don't make a bit of sense. Is that really the way it works? We are to be followers of truth, the Bible says, seekers of truth, to base our life on Jesus Christ, who is the truth, and truth always makes the most sense, not the least sense in all of the world. Now, here's here's the problem. We go grow comfortable a lot of times believing in certain things even if they're not true. Einstein says it this way, just because you believe in something doesn't mean it is true. There are things that we believe in, they're not true, but we've always believed that way, so we're really comfortable. Einstein knows about that. He had grown really comfortable with the belief that the entire universe was eternal until one day a minister showed him, who was also an excellent mathematician, that our universe had a beginning. And Einstein said, you know what? That was a great embarrassment to me. But he had to turn, he had to turn away with what he, be, he came comfortable with to believe with what was true. So here's the thing to think about. Are you willing, like Einstein, to tear down something that's not true, to place your belief, to build your foundation on something that is true? Are you willing to do that today as we think about following the truth? Everybody, I am here with my good friend, 
Jamie Dahl. He's in my Bible study. He's been at Grace since day one. And Jamie is a builder. And he only does things that make sense. So, Jamie, tell us, when you're getting ready to build a big project, like we're standing in front of here at George Mason High School, where we went to church for a number of years, right? And we dealt with all the problems. And as you can see, they're tearing it down. They are. Before they go to build, like if you were building this site, what would you do? Just walk us through the process. So, John, we follow the seven P's of construction. The seven P's? (laughs) What are the seven P's? They would be prior, proper, preparation, prevents, and we use a specific word that we won't mention right now. Construction man, I understand. Thank you. And then the last P is performance. So... With that information in hand, we attempt to unpack every conceivable thing that could possibly happen from the foundation to the roof. So, Jamie, when you're going to build a big building, you get the financial numbers out first, I imagine, right? I mean, like the numbers have to make sense. We do, John. We do what's called a budget and a pro forma. And we... Uh, take a look at every little widget and we try to account for every conceivable widget, doorknob, light fixture, piece of carpet, cubic yard of concrete. And we try to account for all that in our estimate. So if the numbers don't make sense, you're not building it, right? I mean, that's a bad idea. That's correct. Now, how about the architect? If you have an architect that's done drawings for you before and those numbers don't match up, do you use that architect again? We try not to. Okay. <laughs> okay. You try not to. Okay. But if I asked you to do something that on paper didn't make financial sense in the lines and the measurements didn't make sense, what would you do, Jamie? Well, we would have to pass on the project. Have to pass on the project and tell us why in your own words. Just because tell us how important risky. this is. It's too risky. It's too risky. It's too risky. So, Jamie, when you build stuff, you are ultra rational. So tell us what are the steps you go through when you build a building? So, John, we want to have a good plan. Okay. And we want to start early on those plans. Plan your work, work your plan. Yes, exactly. We also want to have a good, firm foundation. Many, many different types of foundations, but we want to have a good one. And then we want to pick the right people who are working on the project. Mm-hmm. And we want to have rational and reasonable people to work mm-hmm. with, subcontractors that understand our goals. Then we want to have a, a great project. And in order to do that, we need a schedule. And in order to get our good schedule, we need to plan our work and work our plan. Oh, that's excellent, Jamie. Okay, everybody, where we're going from here is creation. You know what makes sense? Creation makes sense. Albert Einstein says the only thing that is incomprehensible about the world is that the world is comprehensible. It just makes sense. That's what Paul says in Romans. So join me. We're going to go on a study of rationality. All right, that was great to have my buddy Jamie uh, join us. Radically rational guy. Look, Jamie wouldn't live in a house or a building that didn't make sense. I wouldn't live. You wouldn't live in a house or a building that didn't make sense. You know, there's some buildings here. Uh, many years ago, they're, they're still standing. It's Skyline, the Skyline Towers over here in the Bailey's Crossroads sections, really tall condos there. And one of those buildings, there's a bunch of them, but one of those buildings 
fell down decades ago. I'll never forget it. I was a little kid when it happened. And you know what? Nobody wanted to live in that building for years. Now it's sold out now, but we're decades removed. Why? Nobody wants to live in a building that doesn't make sense. That's not solid. That's not sound. And neither do you. Do you really want to get excited about your faith? Do you want to share your faith with others if it doesn't make sense? What does Paul point to when he's talking about faith in the book of Romans? All of creation. Here's the thing about creation. Here's the thing about the universe. It just makes sense. It makes mathematical sense. It's a big ball of something that's rational. So God doesn't give us something where all the numbers line up that make total sense and then say, now I want you to believe, now I want to put you, you to put your confidence in something that doesn't make sense. That's not how it works. Paul, the Bible, points to creation, makes total sense, the math makes sense, because faith, faith is rooted in the truth and truth is rooted in reason and in rationality. Here's what Einstein says. He says, the more I study science, the more I believe in God. Science, and the more we learn about it, is a far bigger challenge to a disbelief in God. Far bigger challenge. It is challenging those who don't believe in God because the probabilities as you study science lead us to God over and over again. And that's why, that's why Einstein, a great scientist, says that. It just makes sense. So everybody, biblical faith is radically rational. Think about this. I do stuff in my life, and you probably do as well, where I'm tempted to run away from what's rational. I'm tempted to run away from truth and cling on to something that isn't true. MRI machines. I'll never forget the first time I had an MRI. I'm looking in that tube and the technician is there and says, are you claustrophobic? I'm like, what's the big deal? I'm looking at this tube. It's just a few feet long. No problem. Put me on in there. And then, oh my gosh, they put me in there. And it seemed like I went inside that tube for four or five miles. I wanted to react in my emotions, not in my mind, not being rational. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh my gosh. And you know what I had to do in those moments? I just say, pull it back, John. Pull it back, John. Think. Think hard. Be rational. Sometimes our emotions, and right now we got all kinds of, and this has happened forever, all kinds of thoughts. You ought to believe in this, and you ought to be angry about this, and oh, what's rational? We have to employ our minds. And think, many, many years ago, I was playing basketball at Thomas Jefferson, that big, huge gym, and I dislocated this finger right here. This finger went up, boom, boom, like that. It was terrible. Never done anything like that before. I went to the trainer and my finger was doing a Z. I said, will this fix itself? Now, why did I say something so stupid? It's because I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with the fact. And maybe everybody, maybe we slide faith into the category of being irrational, I believe, when it doesn't make sense because we don't want to deal with stuff. Maybe it's just another way for me to say, you know what? doesn't make sense. I don't have to deal with it if it doesn't make sense. Or maybe I want to say it doesn't make sense because I want to do stuff that doesn't make sense. No, 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 no. God is radically rational. This universe that God created and everything in it is radically rational. And faith means for us to cling to the things that are radically rational. Matter of fact, Paul says in Romans 12, 9, cling to what is good. Well, what's the good? What is faith? What is the good? What are we supposed to cling to? Justice, 
Do you feel excited about clinging to justice? How about dignity? How about equality? So for your friends or your family or your coworkers, like, no, the Bible's not true. It's a bunch of myths. Or for you, when you feel like, I don't want to let people know I go to church or that I believe in the Bible in secular Washington, D.C. How about this? Here's faith. Clinging to justice. Clinging to dignity. Clinging to equality. What is the fruit of the Spirit? What does it mean if you have the very Spirit of God in your life? It's producing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. That's faith. It means to cling to the good. It means to cling to the things that the Bible introduced us to. I think we should be pretty excited about that. I think we should be pretty sure about that. I think that's a pretty awesome thing. He says that we should cling to forgiveness. Forgiveness. The entire Bible turns on one story, the story of the Exodus. We've said this before. They were slaves. God sets the Israelites free from slavery. Now they're out in the desert. And this value of forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is really hard. But God is saying to these Israelites, you are going to forever be slaves. Even though you're out of Egypt, you're going to be slaves unless you can forgive. The value of forgiveness the value of love and equality. This is what we are to cling to. Now, I said it a few minutes ago. Seeing is believing. Let's talk about this. We walk by faith, not by sight. Seeing is believing. Am I just walking around in the dark? Is that what it means to be a person of faith? Well, here's the thing. The Bible is the most anti-visual work of literature that our world has ever seen. I want to say that again. The Bible is the most anti-visual work of literature that our world has ever seen. You walk into a temple anywhere in the ancient world and there's the God. You can see the God. There it is. You walk into the tabernacle or the temple of God of the Bible and you say, where's your God? I can't see it. You're right because the Bible is anti-image. The Bible is against this sight, this visual, because things that are visual are very surface. They're unproven. They're unreliable. They're very deceptive. The Bible is anti-image. In the Bible, knowing God, having a relationship with God is a metaphor for sound, not sight. This great prayer in Deuteronomy 6 that we've talked so much about that Jesus would pray twice a day, every day, the supreme act of following this scriptural prayer is to listen. It's to hear. It's not to see. In Numbers chapter 13, we read about the spies going into the promised land to see the land. Now listen, in our world, we think, okay, they're going to go see it. No, no, no. In their world, because they understand how anti-visual this is, they understand that seeing things is very deceptive. They are alerted immediately. Danger. Beware. Beware surface, unproven, unreliable. They've gone to see. Very afraid of that. Okay. Sight is unreliable. It doesn't work. And it's unproven. Adam and Eve. This is where the Bible begins. They see the fruit and they're deceived. They see it and they're deceived. So it sets the tone for the entire Bible. What do they do after that? They make garments, the garments of fig leaves. The word for garment in Hebrew also means betrayal. They were betrayed. Has anybody ever betrayed you? Have you believed too quickly? Have you put your trust in something unproven? 
Are you following a passing fad? Something Everybody else is doing it, so I did it too. And then it really wrecked my life, and I'm so sad that I did. This is what the Bible is calling us away from. It's calling us to believe in things that are tried, true, proven, solid, firm. They've stood the test of time. After an Adam and Eve, you have a persist, these persistent stories of clothing that lead to deception. Jacob wears Esau's clothes in order to deceive his father, Isaac. Tamar dresses up in clothes to deceive Judah. Joseph's brothers dip Joseph's robe in blood to deceive their father, Jacob. Potiphar's wife uses Joseph's robe to deceive her husband, Potiphar. And then how about King David? We're told that the people chose King Saul because he was so tall and he looked so good and was so awesome. Terrible king, but he looked good, unproven, sight. Terrible king. And now it's time to choose a new king. God says to Samuel, I want you to go to the family of Jesse. Jesse's got all these sons. He's prayed them all out. And here's what happens. First Samuel 16. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord. But the Lord said, and here it comes, everybody, said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look on the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks deeper at the heart. Do not put your trust in things that are unproven. Faith says cling to the things that are the most proven, that that make the most sense in our world. Sight is unreliable. It's deceptive. It's unproven. It's irrational. It's foolish. It does not make sense. Hey, two academics. Actually, this was at Oxford. And one academic was talking about another academic. And, and this, this is what he said. This is kind of funny. He says, you know what? On the surface, he is very profound. But deep down, he's very superficial. When I think about that, I think, you know what? We cling to all these ideas and we run and we run and we embrace it in our own lives and we embrace it in the culture. They don't work. They have no tried and true history of working. They're irrational. They make no sense whatsoever, but we're so amped up about it. And the Bible's calling us to be people of rational faith. And we should be excited about that because that's how everything gets changed. That's how game changers come in and transform everything. I want you to be excited about your faith. Now here in the Hebrew, the Hebrew for to see also means to be led astray. So be very careful about things that you see. Has anybody ever said, hey, trust me? You didn't have a lot of track record on them, but they said, trust me. I'll never forget the first church I worked in. I was a youth pastor. We had a wonderful young woman in our congregation. She was very sweet. She was very sweet. She had a son that was in my youth group. And so I think he was, he was an early teen and she was uh, maybe in her mid-30s at the time. And she was coming to church and she's praying that one day she would have a husband. And lo and behold, all of a sudden, one day a guy shows up with her at church and he's dressed all up in his suit and he's talking all about Jesus in the Bible. And next thing I know, within a few weeks, he's asking her, will you marry me? And everybody's like, praise Jesus. Prayers have been answered, but wisdom is crying out. Beware, beware, beware. You don't know enough. You don't have enough information. Isn't tried, isn't true, isn't proven. What's this guy's history? Know anything about it? Next thing we know, they're married. 
And the next thing I know, within a month later, he's gone. This is what Proverbs says. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voice. Wisdom is the way the world works. Jesus Christ is the logos, the word of God, the wisdom from God. What does that word mean? It means the way the world works best. He's the word. He's the sound, not the sight of God. He's deep. He's not superficial. Cling to what is true. Game changers, people who are going to make a positive difference in this world, are the people who are going to cling to what works most the best. That's tried and true, and that's faith. Oh, it is so radically rational. It's incredible. And when we do, our entire world is blessed by that. Cities rejoice. The world rejoices when people have radical, rational faith. What are the issues? The issues we're dealing with today, there are many, and they've been dealt with so many times before. Issues about identity, issues about gender, injustice, inequality, racism, abuse of power, political science, like what's the best way that government actually works, taxation, religious freedom, marriage, individualism. These are issues in history we've gone through before. We know what's worked, we know what doesn't work. We need to cling. What's the one thing we know about history? We don't learn from history. What does Will Durant say about insanity? Will Durant, the great historian who wrote for four decades on as much history as he could get his hands on, he said insanity is the loss of memory. Everybody, we know what works. We know what's going to dig us out of any hole that is so deep. And it is found in the radically rational faith of the truth, tried and true, of God's word. And that's what the game changers did. Now, I mention every now and then Bill Maher. I mention him because he actually puts, and I think it's great, we need people like Bill Maher who are going to put to words, who are just going to put it right out there. Not everybody's going to do that, but it helps us when you just put it right out there to really hear it. And he had somebody on his program, and they were talking all about what they talked about, and then finally he gets to the point in his interview, he says, now listen, you're a person of faith. You're a person that believes in the Bible. You're a person that's a follower of Jesus Christ. So that means you believe in a bunch of stuff that don't make any sense. Everybody, a lot of Washingtonians believe that way. Your friends, your family, your coworkers, a lot of them believe that way. And I got to say, sometimes we enforce those, we reinforce those ideas by when we say, you know what, I trust in God, even when it doesn't make a bit of sense. And all they hear is doesn't make a bit of sense. And sometimes I actually believe I'm holding on to God. Doesn't make any sense. And God's saying, no, 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 no. This makes total sense. You need to cut out what you're doing. You're using that as an excuse to believe in things that are foolish. Faith is radically rational. So the next time you have a friend, family member, neighbor, coworker, whatever, say, oh, you're a person of faith. You believe in things that don't make any sense. Here's the response from the Bible. Here's the biblical response. No, no, I believe in the things that make the most sense. I believe in the greatest things in the world that are tried and true, that make absolute sense, that will change this world for the better. Tried and true, introduced to us in the pages of the Bible. That is what I believe in. Genesis 1.26, I have mentioned it so many times. We're made in the image of God. Do you know why? That is the most revolutionary verse in the history of humanity. All people made in the image of God. Do you realize how revolutionary that is? Only the king was made in the image of God. Only the king was made in the image of God. Just the lone alpha male at the top. Him and him alone. Would you like to live in that kind of world? And along comes the Bible. No other text says it. No reason to say it. 
totally out of step with the way of culture in those days and says the first all people are made in the image of God. In culture, the gods speak only to the king. The gods speak only to the king, except in the Bible. In that culture, slaves were always slaves. Just like Aristotle said, some people were just born to be slaves. Would you like to live in that culture where you're stuck? Slaves are slaves. That's it. Except in the Bible. It's the only place you get something different. Kings are above the law. Kings do anything they want. Do anything They have absolute power. There's no law to the kings, except in the Bible. No one gets to vote except for people of power. That's the only vote, except in the Bible. Everybody has a vote. Doesn't matter where your station is in life, except in the Bible, everybody gets a vote. There's generational debt. Somebody makes a bad decision, and for generations and generations and generations, you're stuck in a deep pit of debt, except in the Bible. How about the work week? You just work people till they die. You work people. They're throwaway, except in the Bible. The Bible invents the work week. Seven days, you work six days, you get a rest. People get a rest, animals get a rest, the land gets rest. The Bible invents that. Don't you love that? The very things we cling to, the very things that you cling to, your neighbors cling to, your co-workers and your family, whether they say, I believe in God or I don't believe in God, they believe in the things that God introduced to us in the pages of the Bible, the things that we celebrate the most. We believe, your friends believe, because they were induced to us no other place but in the pages of the Bible. Things about land, money, work, debt, power, equality, justice, forgiveness, and freedom were all introduced to us in the pages of the Bible. Darwin would say no. Being loving, kind, and altruistic, oh no, you don't want to do that. You don't want to sacrifice yourself for the good of others. Survival is the fittest. Nietzsche would say the same thing. No way. Secular humanism did not invent these things. Only, only, only the Bible. And that's what it means to have great faith. Cling to that what is good. Stand up and shout from the rooftops. I am a person of faith in God and in his word. And it's the only way out because he introduced us to these great things. I want to ask you today to be a person who's radically committed to things that are radically rational, which means you're a person of great faith in God's word. I'd like to end with two stories. Extreme home makeover. Listen, I'd rather watch sports, okay? I'm not into, you know, watching things like that, but I got to tell you, man, that was a good show. I mean, you got a family that's hurting. You got a family that is facing so many issues and hardships and all of a sudden, boom, in comes this big bus with all these designers and they create this incredible brand new home and it's perfectly designed to make the hardships of life so much better. It frees them and it helps them. And then you get to the end and they got that big bus in front of the house and they move the bus away and there's that family and they're in tears and they're crying and everybody's standing up and cheering. And it is so awesome. I got to tell you, I cry with them too. You know what? That's biblical faith. That's goodness. Darwin, Nietzsche, secular humanism. No, no, no. It was invented in the pages of the Bible. If you want to stand up and cheer and celebrate that, you want to do that because those are the very values that the Bible has introduced us. <laughs> this is awesome. Lastly, Shawshank Redemption. Buddy of mine, Arnie, who's in the Navy many, many years ago, he sends me this movie. I hadn't even heard it before. 
He says, John, you got to watch this movie. So I pop it in there. It was a DVD, I think. And Krista and I start watching this movie. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's brutal. It's filled with injustice. I'm like, why did he want us to watch this? And then it just keeps going and going and going and going. I'm like, when is this... When is all this injustice and pain and problems going to ever end? And then finally you get to the end. When Andy Dufresne is set free and evil is overcome and justice happens and you just want to stand up and shout and cheer and say, yes, that's biblical faith. If you feel like standing up and cheering at the end of Shawshank Redemption, then you want to stand up and cheer for the Bible because those ideas were introduced to us in the pages of the Bible. So here's my final point, everybody. This is what I'd like you to consider. I would like you to consider standing up and cheering for faith because it makes the world a livable place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, so much for your word of truth and that we can have great faith and cling to the things that are tried and true and proven. Help us, Lord, to not be deceived by things that are passing fads. Help us to cling to the things that matter the most. Radically rational faith. In Christ's name, amen.